Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Are the roads a little more drivable? A little bit better? Oh, my goodness. The, the road in front of my house, though, it was icier than it's been the whole time. Some of those back roads are still rough, but we're starting to get around. Stay safe out there. Uh, it's been a wild February, but March is here. I guess it's still... Still a mess out there in March. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, we, last week, we began a new series. Um, it's called I Am. And, you know, as a church from the beginning, we dreamed of creating this culture in which belonging can come first. We can come together. We can have conversation. We can live in relationship. And in that context, we can explore who is Jesus and what does it look like to follow him? To that point, uh, as we begin to believe in Jesus, uh, that we get to witness, uh, that we get to uh, celebrate as God transforms our lives and we become people we were created to be, become our fullest self. Um, So that was a journey. Um, And today, we're exploring these I am statements of Jesus. For the next few weeks, we're looking at what does Jesus claim about himself? As we as a people come together to explore who is Jesus and what does it look like to follow him, what more powerful statements could there be than Jesus' own claims to his identity? So we're in the book of John. We've been in a series in John, and we're in this mini-series here saying, who did Jesus claim to be? And as Paul mentioned last week as we kicked off this uh, series, um, he mentioned Jesus is the master of metaphors, right? Uh, so he's going to draw on these metaphors metaphors saying, this is an attribute of myself. Some of you might remember back in the book of Exodus, Moses uh, has been called by God at this burning bush to go and to free the Israelite people from bondage there in Egypt. And Moses argues with God there. He's anxious. He feels ill-equipped for the task. He doesn't want to do it. And so he argues back and forth with God. And one of his arguments is, Well, when I go there, they're going to ask, so who sent you? Like, what's your name? Who do I tell them sent me here into Egypt? And God says, tell them I am sent you. He says, I am. That's what you'll call me. And and it's like this super broad and yet uh, also super beautiful perspective on who is this God. He is the one that exists. He is all things. He says, I am. And then when Jesus comes, uh, we believe God in human form, God in human flesh, God taken on flesh. Uh, Jesus comes and he uses these same statements of I am. Uh, these are like people are very familiar with this God, uh, this idea of a God who is called I am in simple terms. And Jesus begins to draw upon these metaphors to say, let's, let's kind of go a little deeper on this idea of I am. So he says things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says things like, I am the good shepherd. He says, as Paul talked about last week, I am the light. And today, in John chapter 6, we're going to explore his statement, I am the bread of life. Now, I want to speak uh, culturally for just a minute before we dive into the bread metaphor, because depending on whether or not you're gluten-free or depending on what kind of diet you're on, bread might not be the most appealing metaphor to you in this moment here today. That's okay. Uh, We're still going to learn a lot from it. Uh, Still built into our culture, uh, bread is kind of a staple. And we have some good bread in the Tri-Cities. Do you guys like bread? I love bread. Like, I'm just... 
So Vieira's Bakery, Vinny's Bakery, Ethos over there, we've got some great bread. And in fact, uh, last night, uh, better than all of those, I'm convinced, um, last night after having spent the week studying bread, uh, my daughter Rachel, seven years old, uh, taught me how to make bread. And this is, this is what we came up with. That was kind of a cool little practice and, and experience for us together as we considered Jesus the bread of life. Uh, she helped me make bread. So bread is still culturally relevant, I think. Uh, for instance, we're going to do a little pop quiz. You didn't know this was coming, uh, but here we go. Help me out. Uh, finish these um, statements for me. Uh, this, that is the coolest thing since sliced Okay, right. So we have some context for this idea of bread as a culture. Uh, if you are the person in the household that, um, that brings home most of the finances, what are you called? The breadwinner, right? So we have some context for this idea of bread as a cultural reality. Uh, and yet, not nearly to the extent that the Israelites did. When Jesus is going to say in our text today, I am the bread of life, bread had a rich meaning. It had depth in their life, uh, both physically and spiritually. Um, in, in many ancient cultures, uh, 60 to 80% of a person's daily calorie intake was from breads. Okay? So bread was a significant food. I, heard, I read a study this week saying in our culture it's probably about 25% of our calorie intake uh, averaged out. Um, but in an ancient culture, uh, often it was 60 or 80%. Bread was a staple. Like this is sustaining. This is what gave life. This is what fueled people. But further, as we'll look at in the text today, um, for 38 years in the desert, as Israel has been freed from Egypt and Moses is leading them towards the promised land, for 38 years, God would feed his people with bread from heaven. So bread became significant, like God provided for his people that they would have bread and food every single day. John chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. If you look back, we, sp- we spoke on that a few weeks ago. Uh, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people, and they are amazed, and they are also a hungry people, as we'll see. John chapter 6, verse 24, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor the disciples were there, they got into the boats, and they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are, uh, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So, as we read uh, earlier in John chapter 6, and you can look back later if, if you weren't able to be here or listen back on the podcast on our website, um, Jesus uh, had thousands of people following him. They counted about 5,000 men that day with women and children. This is a crowd of ten or 15,000 people, and it's getting later in the evening and people are hungry. And so Jesus turns to his apostles, his closest followers, and he said, how are we going to feed these people? Let's get them something to eat. But the cost was too high and the towns were too far away. And so Jesus multiplies what little bread and fish they have and everyone eats until they're full. Now, the people uh, are amazed by this, right? But in this text, Jesus calls out uh, kind of their motivations, right? He says, you're not here because you want to hear my teaching. 
You're not here so much because you're what I'm about. You're here because I gave you food and you want more food, right? I kind of relate to this. Um, uh, my wife is a great cook and, um, I often find myself wanting more food, right? Uh, and, and the interesting thing about just this raw desire of theirs for more food is that it's not necessarily or always born of uh, selfishness or any of the other things that could motivate them. These are a hungry people, a nation that is struggling and starving, and a man comes that can provide bread. I want to ask us today early, and then we'll, we'll circle back to it towards the end. What are our expectations of Jesus? And what happens when our expectations are not met precisely like we would have hoped? You see, these people come here this day in search of another meal. Give me the free food, right? We got it yesterday. Let's do it again today. This is excellent. And yet Jesus has something very different to teach them and to offer them on this day. Jesus recognizes a teachable moment, and he's going to build this metaphor around the bread that they so desire. They're excited about food, and yet in this moment, they're missing the fact that they're sitting at the feet of the Messiah so overwhelmed by the hunger that they're unable to see the greater picture and the hope and the things Jesus truly has to offer. And so I I wonder, what are our expectations? Is it for my bread or is it for something much deeper that Jesus can offer in my life? We'll circle back around to that. Judge chapter 6, 28, the story continues. Then they asked, asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what signs then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the desert, in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And here we find ourselves in the story of Exodus. Again, Israel in a season of starving and difficulty, wandering through the desert towards the land that God has promised, but often having lost sight of the promise of God and the faithfulness of God in this journey. And yet, in this story, God provided for the people bread. These people, I just like zoom out for a second on these people following Jesus. They've come across a huge body of water to find Jesus again, and they want bread so desperately that they'll go back in their history and say, well, you remember Moses was able to do this. If you were really someone special, you'd do the same thing. Man, are they hungry or what? These people are desperate. Just give us the bread. And so they bring up this story of history. And Jesus says, no, this is what God wants from you. First of all, he corrects their theology. He says, it's not Moses that gave the bread. Uh, It's God that gave the bread, and God continues to bring bread, not in the physical sense like they're hoping. hoping." Jesus says, "But, but this is what you need to be more concerned about. Rather than the bread or filling your stomach again, it's temporary. He says, I want you to be concerned with the work of God, which is to believe in the one he has sent. 
Now, I don't know if, uh, you've been, if you've been following us on social media or been with us for a little while, then you are familiar with the year of believing. So as, as we begin, again, belong, believe, become, and in that order. So last year, we focused on belonging, and we launched different initiatives and things uh, to develop a culture of belonging within the church. This year, we wanted to focus a little bit more on belief. And Jesus speaks to exactly that in multiple places in this text, but here he says, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And this is a year of invitation to consider what do we believe? It's a year of invitation to ask hard questions of who Jesus is, of what it looks like to live in his ways. It's a great year, though, to consider what do I believe of this man, Jesus? Because it begins, our story begins with belief. Okay, um, verse 35, then Jesus declared, and this is a statement, I am the bread of life. Remember, they, he had just said, uh, God gives bread that comes down from heaven, and they're like, give us this always. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life, right? He's trying to draw their attention from the hunger in their stomachs to the hunger within their souls, right? The need for something far deeper on a spiritual level. This is about the kingdom of God. This is not about the food that we eat on a daily base basis. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. All all those the fathers the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Again, Jesus is trying to draw their attention from a physical hunger and uh, invite them to consider a spiritual longing a spiritual hunger in their lives. Yes, I've heard some people say that we're each created with a God hole shaped in our heart. A God hole shape in our heart. Right? This idea that there's, uh, just throughout humanity, uh, look, look back over history, uh, cultures and, and ancient cultures of the world, and there's always this longing to understand something more, something higher, some sort of God, and something to worship. There is in us this spiritual hunger. And Jesus' claim in this text is that I am the one that can fill that hunger. I want to resonate on that for just a minute as we each kind of reflect in our own lives. Is there a hunger in my life? And have I yet uh, turned away uh, or, or put behind um, on, a second, uh, on, a, on a second level my physical needs and hungers? And have I begun to realize in my life a spiritual hunger for something more, to be filled in a new and powerful way? And here's a beautiful thing about Jesus filling it's more satisfying than that promotion at work. It's more satisfying than the addictions that we feed. It's more satisfying than any of that. Jesus says, if you'll come to me, I will fill you up. You will not thirst any longer in me. 
verse 41, at this time, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all, uh, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread, get ready for this, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Bread, a staple in life, uh, something that people use to sustain them on a daily basis. And Jesus' claim is that I have been sent by the Father to bring life, to sustain, to give hope. I heard this story this last week about orphans during World War II. There was a, a major orphan crisis in Europe during World War II, and uh, so they created these orphanages and hostels and places for kids to be protected, to be given food that they could survive. But they faced a major challenge in that uh, they found that the children were unable to sleep. Having lost their families and all their provisions, going for some time without bread or food to eat, uh, the children uh, were terrified that tomorrow again they would wake up and have nothing, no meal before them. And so psychologists and people came together and they considered how do we enable these children to sleep in this time of trauma. And you know what they gave them each night before bread, before bed? Oh man, did I just do that? Can I restart that sentence? Everyone forget what I, you already forgot what I said. Um, so yeah, every night before bed, they would give these children a loaf of bread. And the kids wouldn't eat it, but they would cling to it. And the next morning, they would know they had food to eat when they woke up. And the children began to sleep. Okay, And, and this is a story I think that Jesus is beginning to tell us. This is the challenge that I see beginning to form out of the text today. Jesus says, I am the bread of life and I will fulfill you and I will sustain you. But I find myself so often in life uh, running from one pleasure to another, running from one task to another, running in so many different directions that I find myself panicked, right? I find myself in a frenzy and unable to sleep and unable to really uh, function well. And Jesus is this bread of life that I find myself called to just cling to a little more tightly. To know that uh, I ate today, Jesus filled me today, and tomorrow I will again. Like a child in an orphanage, I find myself called in this text to cling to Jesus who is the bread of life, the sustainer, the one that will fill us up. It begins with this belief. 
And so I cling to my belief in Jesus, knowing that there's more hope in it than I can find in and of myself. But here's the interesting thing. The story doesn't end at just clinging to or believing in Jesus. Though this is a year of belief, and we'll talk a lot about it, the journey continues. Uh, In fact, in the text here, uh, it continues towards abiding. It's beyond believing, but it's abiding in Jesus. You know, here's the reality with bread. I could stare at bread, I could believe that it's bread all day long, and it's not going to give me any nourishment, right? And this is the same with Jesus. Uh, He says at the end of this text, you got to take it in. You got to take me in. It's not enough to believe that I'm the bread of life. Instead, we're invited to take Jesus in to allow him to transform us from within, to nurture us, to bring us the nourishment that we need in life. He says, you got to eat the bread, and the bread is my flesh. Now, as you can imagine, this got really weird. So when you go home, uh, read verses 52 through 59. I'm going to summarize it, but they're like, hold on. Uh, This is a quote How can this man give us his flesh to eat? This is a very bad idea. Jesus is playing with a dangerous metaphor in this moment. Uh, The people don't get it. They don't like it. Um, In 54, uh, he, he, he goes on. like He just bowls ahead with it. He says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life. Can you imagine how terrified the people are in this moment of what's happening next? They're like, man, we just wanted bread. You're making this weird, Jesus, right? You're making this far too weird. Um, In verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Do you want to leave too, is what he asks of his 12 closest followers. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Did you remember that part in the text? Many of his people just turn away, walk away. They're like, I don't get it anymore. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't seem right. I'm I'm done. And instead of the clarifying questions, that the, the conclusions that we'll come to in a minute revolving around communion and taking in Jesus on a regular basis, uh, in, instead of asking those clarifying questions, they just walk away. And this is where I think the conversation of ex- expectations of Jesus uh, comes front and center in the text. You see, people came with an expectation for a loaf of bread, something to fill their stomachs for the afternoon. But Jesus had something very different to offer. In the moment, uh, Jesus' provisions don't match the expectations of the people. They're done. This just doesn't make sense anymore. And I think in each of our spiritual journeys, as we consider, uh, what do I approach Jesus for? This is a pertinent question. Like, what are my expectations? Because here's the thing. Expectations change our reality. I watched this TED Talk this last week, and um, it, it's, it was kind of a quirky one, but I'm going to share it anyways. This guy, he says, uh, here's what I want to talk to you about today, uh, pain pills and beer, right? 
And he's like, this is, it's got to be good when those are your subject. And he goes on to talk about, first of all, placebo with the pain pills. And many of us might be familiar with that. You can look it up later if you want. But placebo is the idea that the brain has a powerful ability to heal the body and to trick the brain into uh, um, uh, healing the body is quite possible um, in medicine. The second illustration, though, was with this beer, uh, and they had done extensive researches both on placebo with pain pills and with this experiment with beer that I'll explain to you. So they gave people two little samples, and they said, we'll give you a full glass of whatever you prefer. One is a regular beer, and they used all different kinds, and the other was beer with um, uh, balsamic vinegar in it, okay? That sounds weird, right? That sounds like a bad idea. So blind taste test, which one do you want a full glass of? And the vast majority of people preferred the one with balsamic vinegar in it. Sounds kind of strange. You can try it if you do. Tell me. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's good. Here's the second experiment. So then they, uh, they tell the people, okay, here's the regular drink, and here's the one with balsamic vinegar in it. And almost every single person now goes for the standard one. And what's the difference in those people's experience? Like, why is it different? Clearly, their initial test showed that the flavor was actually better with the balsamic vinegar in it. But as soon as people knew it was there, something triggers in their head saying, that is gross and wrong, and it totally changes their experience. Like, down to the level that it maybe even tastes different to them is, is kind of the question that, that scientists and people are asking as they do these sorts of researches. You see, our perception, our expectations can drastically change our realities. So I ask us again, as I come to Jesus, what are my expectations? Because I have a feeling that I'm viewing Jesus through the lenses of my own desires and my own goals. And there is a reality in walking with Jesus that we should all know, some of us because we've walked with him for a very long time, and some of us who are just beginning, be forewarned, quite often, Jesus' provisions look a little different than my expectations, right? What's that? Um, uh, it, it comes in a couple forms, but... There's a statement about, you know, careful what you ask for. Pray, uh, pray for humility, and he just might give it to you, right? Um, it, like, it can, it can be hard. It can be challenging. Um, what are my expectations of Jesus? What do, I, what do I bring to him? The challenge today is we consider Jesus as the bread of life. We see some walk away and give up, and some go deeper into this journey with Jesus. The challenge today Uh, In Psalm chapter 34, verse 8, it says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. Like, what if we could throw off some of those preconceived notions, some of those prejudices, all the things that came into play in that taste test, right? What if we could throw some of those off and just objectively come to Jesus saying, here I am, I'll taste And the promise is that as we taste, we will find that the Lord is good. So today we move into this time uh, where uh, we're going to take communion in a few minutes. Um, But we ask ourselves, what is this text leading me towards as we begin to take communion? Uh, You know, we're asking these questions. Jesus makes these I am statements. And um, he says in this one, I am the bread of life. And I'm curious each week as we listen to Jesus' I am statements, what it looks like for us to find our identity in the identity of Jesus. So because Jesus is the bread of life, what am I? 
And a couple of thoughts that came to me as I was considering this is that I am one who takes him in, not just watches, uh, but takes him in. I am one who is sustained by Jesus. I am one who realizes my need for him and finds my hunger and my thirst quenched in his presence. You know, the bread that the Israelites received was a daily provision, right? So every day in the desert, they would receive new bread for that day, except for on Sabbath day, and they'd get twice as much the day before. But it was a continual thing. It kept coming. It wasn't once a week. It wasn't once a month, right? It wasn't an annual provision or anything like that. And I wonder for those of us today saying, Jesus is the bread of life, and I want to take him in. I want a little bit more. What does it look like to daily take Jesus in? Because here's the reality. Without bread, without food, we can go, what, 45, 50 days, and we'll perish. And I wonder if in our spiritual journeys there's a similar parallel. Like, uh, as important as food is to my physical body, taking Jesus in on a regular basis ought to be just as important in my spiritual journey. So what does it look like to take in the bread of Jesus? I'm going to give four ideas, um, scripture and prayer being the first. And sometimes this sounds like a canned answer in church, uh, but I want to challenge us to consider daily spending a few minutes in prayer, daily spending a few minutes opening our Bible. And you might be one of those people that's like, I'm going to read through the Bible in the year, and you read tons of text every day. Or you might be someone who just chooses to open up the Bible and read a single verse or two and just kind of contemplate those and pray over them. In some way, some form, I'd encourage us to be taking in God's word and in taking in God's word, spending time in prayer about it. Secondly, I'd encourage us, what does it look like to take in this bread of life that Jesus offers? Uh, I'd say get in community because God reveals himself in remarkable ways in community. In isolation, it can be quite challenging to see and to grow the thing, grow in the things that God is doing around us. However, in community, we find depth and opportunity. We find people to reflect with and challenge us in our spiritual journeys. Third, I'd say lean into the Holy Spirit. Um, invite the Spirit to speak into our lives and processes to be our counselor and our guide, as he is called in Scripture. And finally, we're going to close out today uh, with the fourth thought. What does it mean to take in the bread of life that is Jesus? Well, that's communion. And so today, as we begin to close, we're going to we're going to take communion together in just a few minutes. If you're unfamiliar with this idea, I'm, I'm going to describe it a little bit, and it'll be good for all of us to consider what is it that we do here today. Shortly before Jesus would be arrested and um, and crucified. Um, he uh, He's sitting at a table with his closest followers, his 12 apostles, the same ones that in this text, he says, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And everyone's weirded out, but they say, no, you have the words of life, and so we'll follow you. And so these 12 find themselves at the table with Jesus during Passover. Passover time when the Israelites celebrate God having freed them from Egypt. And they sit, the, sit at this table, and Jesus takes that bread that's on the table, and he breaks it, and, and, uh, and he says to them, uh, this is my body. This is what you'll eat. And when you eat of this, I want you to remember me, my sacrifice, my body that will be broken for the sake of the world. 
And then he takes the drink that there, that's there with him and, and uh, the wine, and he says, and, and this, as you drink of this, I want you to remember my blood that will be shed, a cleansing blood that brings new hope and new life to people. And so today as we take communion, we're going to remember Jesus who is the bread of life. We're going to pray that he just uh, nourishes us, replenishes us this morning as we take communion together. We're going to invite him to work powerfully in us as we take him in and as we contemplate the good things that he's inviting us into, the hope that he has given us and the ways that we are invited to live in his ways in this world around us. So as Sally and Giovanna lead us in worship here in a minute, uh, I'm going to invite people to stand up and go and take a piece of bread and dip it in the grape juice that we have here. Uh, Grab a napkin, and if you would, uh, if it's comfortable for you, bring it back to your seat with you. And we're going to take communion together today as we remember Jesus, who is the bread of life. Now, if there's anyone here that it's going to be uncomfortable or challenging for you to... uh, get the bread or or, or, um, bring it back to your seats, would you just raise your hand and uh, one of our middle school students will uh, come and help uh, bring that to you. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time and this opportunity. And uh, Father, we thank you for Jesus, who's the bread of life. Uh, Father, in this metaphor, we realize uh, we, we know hunger well. Father, give us a spiritual hunger to know more of you Take a next step in our faith journey. Jesus, thank you that you are the bread of life. Will you fill us? Will you sustain us? Will you nourish us? May we know your richness and your love as we uh, break this bread together this morning. Thank you for hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Father God, thank you. You are great. And uh, Jesus, thank you for this idea that you are bread, that you bring nourishment and hope to life. Father, may we be filled by this small bite of communion that we took today. Father, fill us spiritually, and we may know more of you in the week to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Have a beautiful week.